0: When you first got to the varsity at New Waverly, who was the first person to bust your butt?
1: (laughs) It was a collective group of people who busted my butt in New Waverly. (laughs) Uh, I was young. I was uh, a 13-year-old freshman playing varsity football, man. And so a few teammates, uh, one in particular I'll name, uh, Terrence O'Brien. Terrence O'Brien came from 2A, New Waverly, and he ended up going to LSU and playing DB. Wow. So if you can think about how small our school was, I had 40 people in my graduating class. Yeah, And so for one person to go to that level of football is pretty cool. But he was our everything. I mean, he was our receiver. He lined up at a tailback. He played safety. He played corner. He Whatever we needed, that's what he did. And my job was to make sure that nobody tackled him. So I had to go block for him. That was, that was my role. And I remember missing a block one time in practice, you know, you know and me kind of being frustrated. He's like, come on, quit being a baby, grow up. And he said it with some other choice words. Yeah. But from that point on, I was like, man, I better get my stuff together because everybody's looking at me. Uh, they were coming off a great year. They had went uh, four rounds deep in the playoffs, I believe. Uh, a heavy senior class. Senior class was loaded, and we were looking to do the same. And so I was there at linebacker, and I was playing right guard. I started at those two positions at 2 <laughs> And, uh, and so I, I got it. I got in there at, at a certain time period where everything was rolling and I was like the missing piece, like we needed to replace one position. And so I was the one freshman that had to fill that role. Uh, we went four games straight without giving up a single point, which was pretty cool for us. Uh, I can still remember the scores. We beat Huffman 55-0, Splendora 32-0. Wow. It's, we, uh, we were rolling. We had a really, really good squad that year. But I knew I had to mature far beyond my years. I just wanted to go home and watch like, uh, you know, the Disney afternoon or something.
2: No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: they,
1: were, they were serious about the sport. So that kind of matured me early.
2: It always feel like I need one more boy. And one more line, record the track, just one more time. My family think I bump my head. Lost my mind, insurin' them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy. And one more line, record the track, just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insurin' them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy. And one more line, record the track, just one more time. My family think I bump my head lost my mind and them i'm just fine i'm good enough, I'm just fine. I'm good enough. But be told i need some therapy initially ain't do it
0: voluntarily but now i got a legacy. all right welcome to another brand new edition of the team player podcast this is episode number 17 y'all we got austin college royalty in the house for all the all my roos that listen to this i've starting to get a pretty big following back in the austin college alums this guy's a legend he is legend status in austin college football He is the co-OC and recruiting coordinator at San Marcos High School, and he is the host of the iCoach podcast, along with some other podcast ventures that that he's been doing. Welcome to the show, Marvin Nash. (laughs) Thank you, Q. I appreciate it, man. I'm honored to be here. I love what you're doing. If you're a part of the team player movement, please make sure you have given us a five star review. We were up to 25 on Spotify, 20 and up, Apple Podcasts. Not bad for a little, little podcast like ours here. Let's keep it growing, please. It takes 10 seconds. Hit that five stars, leave us a review if you want to. Uh, that helps us reach more people so they can hear stories like coach Nash's. We're trying to reach more people for sure. Uh, leave us a review. If we know any new reviews that come on there. I will read them. We don't have a new one this week, but put it on there. I'll, I'll read it. I'll recognize you on the show uh, and give you your flowers. As we like to say on the show, hit the follow button to subscribe. That's what I do with all my favorite podcasts and so all my favorite podcasts. I get the new one each week. So you will get a new team player podcast every Sunday at 2 PM. If you just hit that subscribe button. So please do that. We would be honored if the Team Player Podcast made it into your rotation. And finally, keep up with Team Player Podcast updates by following me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kovo. That's Coach underscore K O V O. All right, Marvin, I got a question for you. Just to settle this, I always called it San Marcos, but is it, do y'all say San Marcos? I've, I've heard it both ways from various people. So what's the correct pronunciation? I've
1: heard it both ways. I refer to it as San Marvelous because the weather's beautiful, <laughs> the rivers are awesome. <laughs> But the the New Waverly in me is I'm going to always say San Marcos. Uh, A lot of people say San Marcos, but I think that's San Marcos, California. This is San Marcos. We're in San Marcos, Texas.
0: Maybe it's a Houston thing. That's the way I've always kind of heard it growing up. But I've heard about. So, hey, we'll we'll just roll with it. I might call it both. But uh, let's talk about you. So let's talk about your early life. You grew up in New Waverly, Texas. And so people that don't know, it's halfway between Huntsville and Conroe. So you're kind of right there north of the city. Uh, right off I-45, but you attended elementary school in Conroe ISD as your mom was an administrator at the Woodlands. So the question I have for you, Marvin, what was it like being from a small town, yet you weren't able to do that small town vibe of going to school with your friends and your buddies, you're going somewhere else. So just describe what that dynamic was like.
1: It was different, man. Uh, You know, I I would always, we'd make that drive. We drive from New Waverly to the Woodlands every day. Uh, I'd see all my cousins because Everybody in New Waverly is related to me some type of way. (laughs) See all my cousins out there getting ready to hop on the school bus, but my mom wanted me to be close. Uh, You know, I grew up single parent, household, only child. So I was kind of like all she had Mm -hmm. and she was all I had at that time, you know? And so it was, uh, I can remember great drives Mm -hmm. going together uh, and I can always remember if I got in trouble or if something wasn't going well, I always had that outlet on those drives to and from. Uh, but it was a big difference. It's a culture shock. Uh, the woodlands is very different uh, in the dynamics of the economic growth that it has shown here recently, but also back then. And then just the diversity there. So I was probably the only black kid in the classroom, maybe in the school, pro- possibly in the school. Wow. And I, I never saw any difference. You know, it was uh, it was me and my friends there, and then me and my cousins during the summer at home. So I never really saw a difference.
0: What was it like having a parent that was an administrator? I mean, you, you know, I, I coached for 11 years. Neither of my parents, they didn't actually go to four-year colleges. So, I mean, I, yeah. you had someone that was like, I, I imagine education was a huge priority. So what was that like having, you know, your, your mom being that, uh, that such a high level and attaining such a high level in education?
1: Man, uh, she would give me the most inspirational stories I could ever hear it. I mean, I've mentioned this in my, po- in my podcast. The reason why I started this is because I had a really bad speech impediment growing up. Yep. And so I wanted to face my fears. Right. Well, my mom had the same. And back then uh, she grew up in New Waverly. Uh, schools are segregated. Uh, she had a speech impediment. So she was putting and that was way back before No Child Left Behind. So anybody they thought was different was put in a separate classroom. You stayed there all day long. That's what you did. And so. You know, with her being a minority, with her having that speech impediment, uh, she was always counted out. Well, fast forward, when I was in Austin College, she got uh, hired, promoted, I should say, to superintendent of the district. So you go from a, from wow. a school that's segregated.
0: I, congr- I did not know. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> yes.
1: yes. So she exactly. she told me, uh, one thing is that no one can tell you what you're going to do or, what, or who you're going to be. Only you can decide that. And from that point on, that's been my driving force forever. It still is right now. So the the bar was always high. The bar was always a cut above anything else. And it didn't matter what was happening around me. It was what I could control. And I mean, that's helped me my entire life.
0: That's incredible, Marvin. And that, that's why. I mean, again, if you're listening right now, you know, pause it. Go search for I Coach. I listened to Marvin's entire back catalog in like a day. Really, I start. I have a newborn. I was up at 3 a.m. feeding him. I was listening. And I continue through my workout. I listen to it. And I, I finish this whole series in a day. That's how good it is, y'all. So if you if you like the Team Player Podcast, subscribe to iCoach. It, it's a whole different level. I mean, we have fun here. We learn. We, we learn people, like their background, their upbringing. Coach Nash really talks about some high-level stuff. It's very good. So please subscribe to that. Your ex, I, I, I I'm humbled to be in your presence as a podcaster, Marvin, for sure. But So in junior high, you end up deciding at that point, you, you go you return to your home school of New Waverly but the one question I wanted to ask is did it ever cross your mind to continue to be to play football as a Highlander at, at the Woodlands High School
1: that's all that's all I wanted <laughs> okay so let's, let's was, talk about yeah. what
0: was that decision what was what was the conversation around that decision how did you feel about it to return home to New Waverly
1: man I'll tell you this I knew going home was was important it was important to my mom she wanted to go help her school Um, I didn't understand at the time, but they were about to consolidate New Waverly into Huntsville ISD. They were about to close every school there. And she was able to turn things around, make it an exemplary campus back when the toss test was in in effect, you know, and the tax test and all that that stuff. So, uh, man, I didn't understand why, but I understood it's what she wanted. But for me, like some of my classmates, I still remember their names right now from elementary school. Uh, Chance Mock, back back to Vince Young. Yeah, he was sure. one of my classmates, you know. I thought I was better than him on the playground. Yeah, I was better than him. Tommy Boyd, I remember him yeah. well. He's one, another one of my best friends. I, I haven't talked to him probably since elementary school, but he I think he played Major League Baseball at some point. So these are people who had great opportunities to move on. And I thought athletically I was right there with them. Right. And then I get to New Waverly, and we're on this tiny grass field. I kid you not. We're in a middle school game, and they the referee stopped the game because wild pigs run on the field. Yeah. And somebody from the crowd says, "Ah, don't worry, about it, I got." It. They go get their shotgun off their gun rack in the back of their truck, and they go take care of the pigs real quick. And then we we finished the game. Oh my like, God! Where, where That's am awesome. I? Man? Where am I? And I know I grew up there. You know, it's no knock on the countryness of the town yeah. that I grew up in, but it, it was a complete change, and I was not happy about it uh until i made more friends i you know i already knew my cousins of course but i started making more friends and then became the best decision we could have made
0: you know i have, have you i don't know if you've come across a guy named mark parish at all if that name rings a bell yes. he's an austin college alum but he's a he's a big he, I, I call him the austin college historian and mm-hmm. on facebook he has a he posts a bunch of uh, root what he calls root tales and they're stories that kind of have a sports twist a lot of times but they're they're stories yeah. of an austin college connection in big historical events not always sports um I know he he's going to be tuning into this episode and a little cool Austin college connection. I believe that the head coach of the Highlanders at the time was Weldon Willig, who is an Austin college alum. So that would have been cool. Had yeah. you, had you had con- continued on, you would have played for an Austin college uh, kangaroo and you, you may have, you know, continued that. would have been pretty cool to, to, to play mm-hmm. for coach Willig. But uh, so then you, anyhow, you get to new Waverly. I can mm-hmm. tell it, at first it was maybe it wasn't what you were thinking, but it starts growing on you. She we all know understand. one big advantage. Of going to a smaller school is you can really do it all right all yeah. us coaches we always encourage athletes of any size school to play as many sports as you can as long as you can but i'm sure at new waverly i heard you were a pretty bad little point guard back in your day too i heard i learned that from your podcast so i know you played at least basketball but just tell us uh-huh. what other sports did you play at new waverly uh, besides football
1: and the funny thing is we didn't offer a ton of sports in new waverly like we didn't okay. have for girls we didn't have softball at the time uh, we had for guys we had football basketball, baseball, and track. And I tried baseball, and I just wasn't that good, you know? But I did everything else. Uh, Basketball is probably my first love. I I still – we play in what we call the old man league right now with our superintendent and (laughs) with our our AD and principals. They all come out, and we have our little old man games right now. We finish our strength and conditioning things and come out, and everybody's sore for about a week, but we do it again. (laughs) We we still do that. Uh, But I think the only reason why I played football was because I was just – physically built for it and i I may have been a little better at football
0: what is it marvin with chubby kids like yourself you describe yourself as chubby on your podcast myself adam (laughs) ramirez our episode number two team player podcast alum little chubby guys growing up in houston i don't know if it's a rockets winning back-to-back championships but we all Mm -hmm. thought we were hoopers and (laughs) we wanted to be ballers but it just
1: (laughs) hey not only was i chubby I was also short. So at 5'9", <laughs> you know, as a 13-year-old, I was dream-shaking. I thought I was a Akeem Olajuwon. You couldn't tell me anything. And then I also moved moved to the outside because I love Kenny Smith. Kenny Smith was okay. my guy. I wanted to be Kenny Smith. So I, I thought I could do it all, of course, and I tried.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, you didn't mention this. We One thing we always do is come, uh, pre-planning notes. You, you know, I ask you some questions, send it back. You didn't mention this because you're humble but mm-hmm. you may, you know, I listened to all your podcasts. So yeah. I do know that, that you are a top 10 graduate at Waverly uh-huh. high school. And so you didn't mention that on your nose cause you're so humble, but I want to talk about that. So besides okay. being the star, you know, athlete star football player, you also, you know, obviously education was important. Mm-hmm. I imagine your mom had a little bit of influence on that, but just, you know, talk yeah. about your, your approach to being a student during that time at, at New Waverly. Uh, I knew, I knew this. I knew that I had great study skills cause it was reinforced
1: at home and one thing I always wanted to do was continue to make my mom proud, and she was always proud of me athletically. But academically it was always her thing. She said, "One day, you know, you could blow your knee out. You could have to stop playing. You'd have a medical issue. What are you going to do after that?" And so that was always my focus. And I, I don't want to, you know, we can't brag too much. I was top ten, but there was like forty-six kids in the class. So let's let's not oh, go yes. so <laughs> overboard, you know. I was. Uh, <laughs> it, I, And honestly, in high school, I didn't, I didn't study much. I didn't learn how to really, really study until I got to Austin College when things really got difficult, but I did, I I was always a great listener. You know, I always would, would filter and hear everything that I needed to hear and filter out the noise that I didn't and knew what was important. And I think applying that to, to life in general is great because it teaches you how to find what's important and focus on that. And so I think it's more the life skills of that helped me be a great student than anything
0: else. When I listened to the first episode of I coach, I believe the title was, you know, why I coach and you're opening. I don't want intro soliloquy. I don't know what you want to call it, but it was beautiful. And instantly I was hooked and I said, okay, this is going to be great. I really love how open you are in your podcast. And I, I was the same way when I was coaching, you know, I, I grew up in a two parent home, but you know, my, my dad was abusive, you know, uh, in the house, you know, especially towards my mom. And I saw a lot of, uh, you know, a, a domestic abuse in my lifetime. That's really difficult on a kid, you know, just wanting to go to sleep and just hearing the fighting. And then you're just, you just, I was just happy to get to school. I was just getting my car speeding over to school to where I get mm-hmm. to where I was loved by my coaches. That's, that's mm-hmm. why like what you talk about in your podcast, that's why I do my podcast too. Coaches are so important. I want, I want to scream that from the rooftops and they made me feel good about myself, you know, in, mm-hmm. in a tough part of my life. And so you know Adam Ramirez. I talked about him. You know we share a lot in common. A lot of things the three of us. You know we all thought yeah. we were ballers, but we were too short and too fat. But we're not fast enough. But he also always is very candid about his experience. Uh, you know his his father was incarcerated throughout most mm-hmm. of his you know up adolescence and upbringing. His his mother was a drug addict. You know still you know battling addiction, and now has has been sober. You know, but that's always going to be a battle for her. He shares that with his students. And mm-hmm. I, I just think it's, it, it's so helpful that he's so, so strong to be able to share that and help his kids not feel like they're alone. You, you are similar, at least on your podcast, you, you talk a lot about your mom and then, you know, she got sick, you know, when you're in high school with cancer and you're, you're so, it's so beautiful what you said about your coaches and not just one coach, but like a, a, a whole group of them rallied around you and said, mm-hmm. Marvin, we're not going to let you fall. You know, we're not going to yes. let you fail. So if you if you want to just kind of talk about that experience for our listeners what it was like for your mom to get sick and just every, everything that transpired after that moment
1: no doubt man uh, i mean there's three coaches in general that really helped me uh coach bob eastland was our athletic director and, and head football coach we've lost touch here over the years but he uh just he, he saw who i was he was the one that believed in me enough to say i can put this 13 year old kid on the varsity team and he can help us mm-hmm. uh coach mike hancock was my defensive coordinator he's the reason why i uh I love defense at that point. I thought I was an offensive guy and he, he helped me fall in love with just the game of playing defense and just how how beautiful it is to, to scheme yourself up to stop what somebody does well. And then coach Bill Goffney he was a I believe he was a first year a first year coach when all of this was going on maybe a second year coach and he is currently the head basketball coach in Houston Westfield. but mm-hmm. I mean those three guys changed my entire life. I, I, I knew I had to do something positive I knew I was I wanted to play sports but when you go through something as devastating as that you know it it can really affect your confidence so my mom got sick when I was 16 uh, and it came out of nowhere she was she was young you know still early in her professional career and it was heavy it was stage four cancer it had spread to her lymph nodes and it was you know in most cases inoperable they they had no idea how that what was going to happen from that point and I can remember feeling alone uh, because one thing I'd always remembered is I have to stay strong. And so staying strong is, is not always the best thing. You know, the mental health is important. And by suppressing how you feel and not being able to express that to anybody, you, you end up choking on, on your own strength and you suffocate yourself. And so that was something that we were not going to allow to do. And so it, it, the coaches said, we're not going to let you fall. We're going to hold you up and get you where you need to be. But that was just the beginning. Yeah. So dude, this is the this is something that probably the reason why I got to Austin College, man. Yeah. Uh, I never heard of Austin College. Right. But me <laughs> <laughs> two guys, Shane Addison and Buck Buchanan.
0: OK, yep. yep
2: I'm I playing know, basketball, yep.
1: playing basketball. And they are at New Waverly in the gym watching me play basketball. This is my senior year. And they stopped me and say hey we're from austin college and i said oh in austin of course like everybody says oh in austin no not in austin sherman texas yeah. and uh, we uh we've, we heard a lot about you we want to talk about what you can bring to our school so they stayed and talked to me for hours on end and they they, they asked a question like uh, is your mom around or your dad around I said, well, I don't have a dad and uh, my mom's in the hospital. Mm. She was, uh, she was in isolation. She had a full bone marrow transplant, which meant they killed every white blood cell in her body. Wow. And so yeah. much like, you know, really COVID was almost a, a unfortunate flashback for me, but that's exactly yeah. how I go see her. I had to mask up everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, I, and it was just me. I was like, so I, I got myself to school, got myself home, all that good stuff. And so we talked for a while right there in the gym parking lot. Uh, next thing I know, Coach Norman gave me a call and he said he wanted to do everything he could to help me. He said that that I could be an asset to Austin College. And they thing you know, I'm getting handwritten letters from Corey Haley and, and Charles Gurley yeah. and, and wow. John Palmer. And, you know, yeah, all these yeah. guys reaching out to me that have never met me, but they heard my story. And they said they wanted to be able to help me. Well, at the same time, Coach Vance Morris was a coach at Austin College, but his son-in-law, Marty Seacord was opening Louisiana College. Yeah. He was, head coach there he was recruiting me uh, he came from Louisiana to Houston to MD Anderson and he I'll never forget this he sat and um, I'm i am 16 maybe maybe just turned 17 he sits there and prays with me and my mom in the hospital uh, and says you know whatever you do I'm gonna support the choice you make but I just see the strength that you that you're that you're trying to show here and I want to let you know you have support and so for guys to do that, just genuine people, that lets me know that it's bigger than the game. Like, this is a ministry to them. This yeah. is a way to reach out and help people. And so that became who I was from that point on. You know, once once, I, once you feel that type of compassion, you just want to pay that forward.
0: Oh, man, I love it. I appreciate you sharing that. And it's such a nice blast from the past to hear those names. I definitely remember Shane Allison. I heard the <laughs> name Buck Buchanan was definitely thrown around. He wasn't quite there when I got there, but. Uh, those are some great guys coach norman i know we'll talk a lot about every guest that i've had from austin college just raves about coach norman as do i uh mm-hmm. but that, that's just really cool and you know anytime i hear any negativity about coaches I, it just really kind of it, it kind of hits me a certain type of way marvin you know and i because uh they the ignoring stories like this where these coaches really helped a kid who was hurting and struggling through an enormous burden and so that's what we like to focus on here so thank you for sharing that story but I know we're gonna have a lot of Austin College lessons. Let's talk about Austin College, all yeah, right? Sure. So you kind of described you, you described your recruiting experience, and then you kind of have a reputation for being a four year starter wherever you go. So you did it when you were 13 in New Averly and you did the same yeah. dang thing up in Sherman when you were 17 years old. You yeah. became a starter right off the bat. And here's the thing: you and I both come from the Houston area, you know, and I, I came from a big school, and so I. I respected Austin college, but there was a part of me that was like, Hey, I was first team all district at a five, a this is division three football, you know, I'm going to come in there and I'm going to just, I'm just going to walk right in and, and, mm-hmm. and, be, and be a big part of the team. Mm-hmm. That was not the case for me. I was not a four-year starter. Like you were, I mean, <laughs> division three football is very competitive. Uh, t- uh, team player podcast alum, Ben Moran was talking about that he coached at Austin college after he finished. And so just, mm-hmm kind of describe that now you're a coach I'm sure you have and you're a recruiting coordinator of all things you probably got a lot of kids I coach I'm d1 coach I'm doing I ain't doing d3 you know so (laughs) describe just a little bit about division three football in general and then when you got to Austin College what you felt about the level of competition
1: absolutely so I knew I knew it was division three going in uh but you know, it's just something that called me to to go there. I had an opportunity. I could have went to A&M and they were going to pay for my books or something like that. You know, give me 500 bucks a semester. And I would red shirt. And I said, like, no, I want to play, you know, because I'm, I'm going to graduate in four years. I want to play and get out and go be a profession. That's what I want to yeah. do, whatever that profession may be. Sam Houston State offered me half tuition. I could have went there, but it was too close to home. I needed yeah. to, get away. I need to grow and spread my wings. So those are my three, my three opportunities coming out. Uh, I went to visit Austin college at the midsummer test and, I met guys like Marcus Schultz and met my roommate, Keith Alexander. Yeah. Uh, I was like, man, this is, you know, this is where I need to be. Met John Palmer. John, uh, <laughs> I have some <laughs> stories about John I won't share on the podcast, but you know, <laughs> he's, uh, he's one of the greatest people I've ever met, yes. man. Yes, yes. He, uh, he He's another big reason why I ended up at Austin College. But once I got there, I looked around. I'm like, okay, we have a defensive tackle, John Palmer, who's about 6'3, about 265. And we just did, bench press test and he just bench pressed 417 415 pounds like are you kidding me like I've never seen that before I'm from New Waverly I've never seen anybody do that before Uh, Marcus Schultz just ran a a 4-4-1 and I know it was hand time but that's still really really fast I've never seen that before so I was like there's athletes here I I can play here and the first thing I thought to myself was yeah I might have been all state or whatever but whatever it is I'm going to play I'm not going to I'm not I know the travel squad was a big thing. they're like most freshmen don't make the travel squad. we don't know if you're gonna be on it. I said I'm, I'm going to be on it and everything that I went out they they I guess the, the biggest thing coach Norman always told me he said you approach practice like you're about to play a game like you have no friends out there. I said I never will because my my biggest enemy is myself and it lives right between my ears. so I cannot I cannot let that overwhelm me
0: yeah and i I, I can speak to that we were both, I started as a defensive end. My first year as I was in college, I was an O lineman in high school, a little undersized. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to try defense. So I started as a defensive end. So I played a few one year. I was a freshman. You were a senior. I was intimidated by you and I, <laughs> you're a nice guy, but you, you, I don't want to say you weren't approachable, but you mm-hmm. had that kind of aura about you. You know, mm-hmm. you just had that aura that I, I could tell you, like you just described, you meant business. And that's why later on, we're going to talk about you're a diehard Ravens fan. I'm wearing mm-hmm. my Ray Lewis Jersey. I, I'm imagining Ray Lewis has something to do with your Ravens fandom because you remind me of Ray Lewis, just your, your aura that was about you at that time at Austin College. But let's talk about David Norman. You, you, you mentioned him. All of our guests love talking about David Norman. One of the things that came up on the last, let me let, let, me let you describe David Norman first in your own words, and then I have a question for you.
1: Okay. Uh, <laughs> David Norman to me is the most honest, genuine, kind individual I've ever met especially for a football coach,
0: yeah.
1: but he's also the most emotional. And so his yeah. emotions would show in everything. And I love that right. about him. I love, I love every bit about that. Uh, I can remember one time in particular, uh, this was that 2000 team that went seven and three and one of the, one of the winningest teams that we've had since the national championship team in 81. And, uh, we made a, a huge play. I think Keeson Alexander threw a touchdown pass to Reed, and, uh, to end the game, but East Texas Baptist, and it was audible. He made that play on his own. They called They called it. The, Jeff basically said, I'm running the go, and you're going to throw it up in the air, and I'm going to catch it for a touchdown. And yeah. just like typical Jeff Reardon fashion, of course, that's going to happen. He's going to win. <laughs> yeah. that, that's, what, that's what that is. what that is. And so uh, I can remember Norman just he's so overcome with emotion because that was a huge game for us. Eyes full of tears. Yeah. And the biggest hug ever. And, it, you know, at, in a regular season game, I was like, man, I need to have that kind of passion about everything in life. So that, that's David Norman to me, and he, uh, I mean, we talk pretty, we're, we're on a group chat, but like individually, we check in with each other quite often.
0: That's awesome. Uh, you know, episode 16, Pat Abernathy came on. He's, a, he's an Austin College alum. He's now a rugby coach in Colorado, um, mm-hmm. but the thing I did not know, I don't know if you knew this, Marvin, mm-hmm. when he was in Austin College earlier in the 90s, Coach Norman was the head baseball coach. Did you know that? That's- I did.
1: I did did not not
0: know David (laughs) Norman coached baseball. And so, you know, Pat Mm -hmm. Abernathy described that, you know, coach Norman wasn't a baseball guy. He was, that wasn't his thing, but he was a motivator and he was a great recruiter of talent. And that's how he got the baseball program turned around. But he talked about Normanisms and he just Mm -hmm. said there's certain things. Coach Norman is one of those guys. He just, his personality lends itself to being imitated, you know, and imitated is the imitation is the highest form of flattery. And Back in my day, I was known as maybe the premier David Norman impersonator. A couple guys you know, uh, Chris Moore from San Augustine and then your good friend Mace Demarcus Harris, who's now the head co- – uh, from Pittsburgh, Texas, now he's the head coach at Mesquite. They're pretty dang good too. But mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. just
0: curious, did, did you have any Normanisms that you remember, any, or any little one-liners that Coach Norman used to always say <laughs> that you remember?
1: Even today we greet each other. out. If
0: I don't see him, I went to visit campus. I,
1: I took my kids there to see where I went to college. And I just hear some somebody say, Is that Marvin Nash? And I turn around and he says, I'm a kanga. <laughs> and I hit back, room. Yeah. Uh that's one of the things that well, I mean, it's the way we greet each other in text a bunch of times. you know, it's yeah. uh, it's always been our thing. Uh he would always say, you know, you could you could be out there bailing hay in New waverly, but here you are.
0: <laughs> here yes, you are. <laughs> Marvin, that is the one I was gonna bring up. That's the for us, he's he was like. Chris Moore, you could be at the Piggly Wiggly in San Augustine, but you're with us, you know. And so yes, he is. kind of changed it from Balon Hay to working at Piggly Wiggly. I mean, he'd be throwing probably whatever <laughs> random job, but oh, that was yeah. his saying. And I just, it <laughs> makes you feel special. Like Coach Norman knows where we're all from, mm-hmm. you know. He he knows us as people in our hometowns, and I just, mm-hmm. I, I was always really impressed by that. But talking a little about the football field, like I said, you were a force uh, on the football field. I played with you for one year. Mm-hmm. You. Along with Kevin Cook, the Pride of Bay City, formed oh, in my opinion, we were running three-four defense at the time. Just one of the better inside linebacking duos in the American Southwest Conference, and that was a really tough conference. Mm-hmm. And you know, you two, you know, were very uh, dominant. So, do you want to just d- disc- I'm just curious your thoughts on Kevin Cook because I've completely lost touch with him over the years. Yes, um, but yes. just what was it like you and Kevin? I felt like you guys had this. You were always together. It felt like to me, mm-hmm. and you had this bond with him. So. What was it mm-hmm. like having you know two seniors there just com- commanding that defense in your senior year?
1: You know we were two of the we were the only two freshmen I believe to start. So we we kind of
0: had that bond. He so started together. four years together.
1: He started four years. I as did well. not know
0: that. Okay, awesome. Yes. Yeah. And we ran a little
1: different defense. Uh, we ran a four three, and so he was more of a like a, a safety hybrid type guy. Right. And I was the inside backer uh, next to Reed before he got injured, and um, you know things like that. But man, he uh, Kevin was always kind of quiet he's probably he's probably the funniest guy i've ever met i I can remember (laughs) it's just random stuff i remember from 20 years ago but we we went out to mississippi college we'd won and uh we're like okay we gotta make this long bus ride back straight back and we're everybody's trying to take showers and, and it's d3 so the facilities are horrible we look around like nobody has any soap and he finds this little sliver of soap and I was like, "You gonna use that?" He said, "It can't be dirty. It's soap." I was like, "Okay, <laughs> you know, that's, that's true." <laughs> so that's what we did. But he—he uh, he was one of the most intellectual players I've ever played with. And as a coach, you know, I, I have—I've had players that remind me of him quite a bit. But somebody who can just see things happening before they happen because he's watched so much film, he studied so much. So he was—he was so smart to play, play next to. Uh, and we played off each other a lot. He was really smart. I was reckless. I I just you know I'm I'm running through linemen. I'm running through if the if the referees in the way I'm running through him. I, yeah. I was
0: reckless. Right, right. He was
1: more intellectual about what he was doing. So we, we played really well together, and I think we uh, we were like yin and yang. It, it, it yeah. worked perfect.
0: It really did. It really did. Now you know I, when my freshman year, your last year, Austin college football was kind of tailing off a little bit in terms of competitiveness. I know, I know my freshman year, your senior, year, we we're four and six, but I know in the years before that. You really were competitive in an extremely hard conference. You know, of course, mm-hmm. I've heard of guys like Aaron Koenig, who, who you know, was in the NFL, for, you know, for a period. And it's funny you bring up John Palmer. I remember mm-hmm. when I came as a high school senior to watch a game, he jumped out to me. Number 99 in the mm-hmm. middle, just blowing stuff up. I had no idea he was that strong. Uh, mm-hmm. Yourself, I remember. Uh, I remember, you know, Brian Womack running the option. I remember David Aired. You know, those are just some guys that I just, I, even as just a high school senior just watching, I just, it just kind of jumped out to me. Um, mm-hmm. can you just any, are there any guys just from, you know, before I got there, kind of in your earlier years when you were on some of those, you know, seven and three teams and anybody you want to just talk about, uh, while you're on the podcast.
1: Yeah, probably I'll start with two of my closest friends that uh, we nearly talk every day. Uh, Corey Haley yeah. was the most dynamic person I've ever met. And as a receiver, he was a, he was the first legit four, three guy that I'd ever seen in my life. And some of the things that he would do in the air, he was a physics major. So he's probably one of the smarter people I've ever yeah. met. But I swear he was judging trajectories from the velocity of ball, and, and if I <laughs> tip it here, and I can tip it over the receiver's yeah. arm, yeah. And I can grab it for the touchdown. And, and then he did it every time. He was uh, and the thing I remember about him is that he never slept, and he still he still doesn't sleep. He's the principal of uh, Denton Braswell High School now. Yeah. Okay, he does. He, he never slept. He would it, it could be three in the morning. He's walking around with his physics book and he's and he's going and I'm not talking this is way before Red Bull. No yeah. caffeine. <laughs> he wasn't drinking coffee. That's just who he was as, uh, in his personality. And it, it was it was infectious, you know, and it still is. It makes everybody uh, excited to be to be there. So the people who work with them now, they're just excited to go to work. Then uh, I can think of Landon Powell. Landon Powell. safe Yep, in Texas. The, yeah. Yes, the pride of Dennis yeah, Pride of Dennis in Texas. Yeah, he uh he, he was just always the quiet guy who who, who would just make plays always, yeah. and uh, so he we'd all we'd hang out a lot, and he would always just be the quiet one in the corner. But you could tell he was processing. He was seeing what was going on, and then of course Keeson Alexander, who, yep. who was the big time DB coach at, at Den Ryan, been to DC a few places now. Yeah, uh, he man he he was a quarterback his entire life. And he got moved to receiver, got moved to corner. Uh, so he knows everything there is to know about football, but he's one of the most genuine people you'll ever meet. And yeah. just uh, just the, the crew of those guys, man, Reed Hine, another guy I'll bring yeah. up. He uh, he probably had the career that I, I wanted to have, just thinking of, of how he approached things. He, he played Austin College. He GA'd his last year. He stayed for a fifth-year GA through the teacher program. Uh, then he went to NFL Europe when that was still a thing. Wow. And then from awesome. NFL Europe to Baylor, you know, to, to Tulsa, to SMU, to Colorado. And then finally getting back into high school. He's now the head coach at Denton-Guyard High School, which is just a, an amazing yeah. feat for him. He's going to do some great things. So those guys, man, they uh, it, it's amazing how playing next to somebody can make a lifelong friendship. And you don't have to talk every day to, to keep that friendship. You never miss a beat.
0: That's pretty cool. You bring that up. I was going to talk about, you know, in the D three circuit, I know the Harden Simmons coaches are kind of a good fraternity. They have their parties mm-hmm. at coaching school. And you mentioned mm-hmm. Mary Harden Baylor on your podcast has a lot of coaches, um, but mm-hmm. Austin college, honestly, sneakily is, is fairly well represented. I mean, you've talked about Marcus mm-hmm. Schultz. He's now the, he's at humble. I mean, that's another yeah. good pro- program. You talked about coach Heim, um, mm-hmm. DeMarcus Harris, you know, mm-hmm. uh, out, out there at Mesquite. I mean, I'm sure I'm, I'm leaving out some off the, off the top of my head. Brian Womack's the head baseball coach at Arlington. I mean, Mm -hmm. Yourself, so they're Mm -hmm. Austin College. I mean, have you, as you've gone through your coaching career, have you, have you seen a lot of Austin College guys that you come across? I have,
1: I have, and what's funny is that I'll see guys who are Austin College guys who are now in the college ranks, and they'll they'll bring that up. You know, when uh, Coach Fedora. We, yeah. It was pretty awesome to run into him when he was out on the recruiting tra- trail at North Carolina. He, would, he, I think he came to Denton, he came to Geyer and we met and he's like, Austin College, You sound from? did you go to Austin College? Yes, sir. I know you did. And so we had you know, a great conversation about that. Uh, I worked for Jeff Reardon. He was the head coach yep. at Crosby that and yep. currently at Chapel Hill and Tyler and tearing things up. And I was his OC for a while. That's, you know, it's just the connections are amazing it's also fun connecting with people you played against Uh, the assistant athletic director here in San Marcos is a uh, Harden Simmons alum. He was a quarterback. His senior year was my freshman year. Uh, Our head coach, John Walsh, you know, everybody thinks he went somewhere big. No, he went to McMurray, you know, he's a McMurray. I know that. Yeah. So, you know, there's always, there's always these D3 connections and, you know, we'll run into the Westlake coaches. You know, Kirk Rogers is the OC over there. Well, he tore us up in the ASC at Harden simmons as a receiver and played for the Chargers for a while. Yeah. And you just run into guys that, that you wouldn't think, uh, you know, by looking at their career that they played, quote-unquote, D3 football. Right, sure. thing is they played at a high level and that they coached at a high level.
0: You know, one thing that I've, I've, I've been charting Marvin, and I find this interesting, I know this from your podcast, you did not enter Austin College thinking you were going to coach. You were actually a pre-med major. And so that now makes it 72% of my guests. And Mm -hmm. I interview the top coaches in their profession all across the state and even the country. We've had a couple out-of-state guests. Mm -hmm. 72% of them did not enter college thinking they were going to coach. So what that tells me is it is never too late. If you got a heart for kids, I don't care if you're 45 years old. I mean, you can do it and that. So can you kind of speak to that about the, the calling of coaching, you know, and, and not needing to have always wanted to be a coach that, that you can enter later on in life?
1: Absolutely, man. I, you know, I'm, I don't want to toot my own horn. I'm a sharp guy, right? I was pre-med. Uh, I got out of the pre-med program just because it was very hard to do playing, playing football really hard. And I was like, either pre-med or football. I was like, well, let me get into something else. We'll see what I can do. Uh, well, once I graduated, uh, I was, you know, I had this great degree, but what do I do? Uh, math is my least favorite subject, but I, somehow I fell into investment banking and mortgage banking. So I worked for one of the better mortgage companies in the world, make a ton of money. It was right before that 2008 financial decline, right. where everybody was making ridiculous money, and everybody knew it was really, really bad, but nobody did anything. Yeah, uh, I, that's where I was at that time.
0: Yeah,
1: and uh, even when it was really good. Even when money was coming in hand over fist and family was taken care of, I, I was unfulfilled. I was yeah. like, okay, I don't really feel like I'm helping anybody. I'm helping rich people get richer. Right. Uh, and that's not who I am. That's not not the character I wanted, I wanted to portray. So I just wanted to be me. And me is someone who is hard on the sleeve, coaches, teaches, and is honest and upfront about everything. And so I just quit. And it was right before the decline. I probably would have got laid off anyway because the company folded, but I, I just quit and I got into coaching. I contacted Corey Haley, again, Austin yeah. College connection. Yeah. He just got done coaching at Denton Geyer and was moving into administration. And he introduced me to John Walsh and football coach at Geyer. And this is They were 0 and 10 and 1 and 9 when I got there. And so this is the, the building and I get to see the relationships that you build. And I get to see how... I can be an asset to help kids get to where they want to be just by being the same type of coach that I had coming up in high school and college. And after that, it was easy. Like I haven't, I've been a coach for 17 years almost now and I have not, I've not worked a day in my life. Like wow. this it's unbelievable. How much, how much fun I have at work.
0: The thing I love about this podcast, I see all the parallels around my guests. Like you talk about coach starting middle school football that, that takes me back to Cirilla Ojeda was one of our original guests. He's now the head football coach at Aldean. Yes. He told the story of the first time that he's at practice and he told he t- they were doing a, you know, a shotgun alley or some tackling drill, something like that. And there was a fumble. And he told the kid get on the ball. And the kid looked at him and get on the ball. And the kid sat on the ball. Like it was an egg. Like he was a mama hen. <laughs> and so, sitting on But at that moment, coach O'Heda realized like to be a really good coach, you got to be able to teach everybody. And you, and that's why middle school coaches are so important. I, I think it's a strength that you coached, you know, for sure, that you started your career, at you know, at that level. And then second thing I want to say is uh, we had Brett Sniffen on who started Ridgepoint High School. He's my mentor. Mm-hmm. A lot of people that see programs like Geyer, they don't understand that at the beginning, they're rarely like that, where, you know, there are hard times, a lot of times at the very beginning of starting a new program. So you got to witness that as well. So just anything you want to say about coaching middle school or starting a new program, Marvin?
1: Oh, my gosh, yes. Uh, I guess the first thing, middle school was everything because yeah. we were not good. <laughs> yeah. We were not good in middle school. I think we went one and nine and we won the last play on a toss pass and you would have thought we won the Super Bowl. And the kids had blast. <laughs> the funniest thing is though, those kids were seventh grade B teamers. Fast forward about six years or so. Those kids were state champions at Guy. Same kids. Yep. Same kids. And it's the development. So it's never who you are right now. So as a coach, you have to be able to see what you can become, what can, what can these kids become? Not who they are right now. The worst thing I can say is, oh, we don't have any players. You don't have any coaching. That's the problem. You don't have yeah. somebody to teach and coach. And so now I'm in a position where I hire a lot of coaches. You know, I, I'm in the interviews with a lot of coaches. And whenever it's a, a negative disparity, talking about players or not having the, the right amount of kids or the right type of kids, it takes off the list. I don't have to ask another question yeah. because you don't have a growth mindset. So I think that seeing it for myself helps me visualize what type of program I want to lead and be a part of. Uh, the other thing is, if you're coaching and you're doing it right, uh, you're going to have people who want to emulate you. I emulated coaches who did it right on staff now. We have three former players, one played in the state championship game and two won state championships at Den and they are in key roles at San Marcos High School right now. Wow. So you have, and you'll hear them as they're leading their position groups. And they'll be like coach Walsh, coach Nash, coach Vallejo. They were, they were my coaches in high school. So I'm coaching you like they coached me. So, yep. you, And it, it's, it's just amazing. The turnaround that's happening. So it's almost a mirror image. I'm seeing the, the and 10, the one and nine transform into state champions right before my eyes all over again. It's deja vu.
0: Beautiful. Beautiful. Now you, you've mentioned Jeff Reardon in the past. Um, You know, with with Audible in there to make the big catch to BDTBU, but then you end up you join his staff up at Crosby, you know, northeast of Houston. Um, So just kind of talk talk what what that experience was like, uh, learning under Coach Reardon at Crosby.
1: Man, it was like uh, (laughs) I was a first of all defensive player in in college, so defense was everything. Yeah, I can I can write up, drop any defense you want, uh, any front, any coverage, any of that stuff. I can teach that like the back of my hand. Well, I got there and I had been the run game coordinator at Denton High School. And needless to say, we had rushed for 600 yards in a game multiple times. Run game was solid. The pass game, you know, not so good. You know, it's stuff that we needed to work on. Well, in my current role now, I'm the wide receiver coach, you know, passing game co- coordinator, mm-hmm. co So now I do, I handle all the passing game. Well, everything I learned about the passing game, Jeff taught me. Yeah. And it's just that connection with him. Uh, working with him is a lot like uh, coming back home to an old friend you hadn't seen in a long time. Right. You just pick up where you left off. Right. He, uh, I mean, he's the same genuine guy, just a little bit older. Hair's a little bit gray. Well, He's bald, the. Beard, right. beard's bald. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff.. Beard's a little but he's, uh, he's the same guy, man. He's just uh, the honest, genuine family man that, he, that he's been uh, just a, just a great a great human being. And so he took the time to, which I really appreciate, go step by step and teach me what I needed to know and kind of mentor me through this whole thing. And I think I've become a complete coach. Like I can say in my career now that I've coached defense, I've been a defensive coordinator before. I've coached defensive line, coached linebackers, coached corners, coach safeties. I've coached O-line. I've coached tight ends. I've coached running backs, receivers, and quarterbacks. I've coached every position on the field. I've been a coordinator on both sides of the field and been an assistant head coach. And I couldn't have been prepared for any of those roles without the people in my life, including Jeff.
0: You know, one thing I want to talk about outside of that, those roles, your role as a recruiting coordinator. Yes. That's another world that's really cool. And it's kind of like its own little fraternity. And you know, I listen to your podcast and I hear about this big group text of all the recruiting coordinator, you know, group chat for all, all y'all. And it's just really cool. Like the thing I like about your podcast, I just think you're cut perfectly from the cloth. That's the perfect image of what a recruiting coordinator needs to be. Cause you have the love for kids and you have the respect and 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 thought for their well being that I can I, I feel like parents will be attracted to you as well because they feel like Coach Nash is doing, you know, what's necessary. And it's really eye-opening to me to hear Mike Roach come on your show. Uh mm-hmm two, four, seven sports longhorns, you know, recruiting director. And Mm -hmm. to hear that, that that's the, the red carpet's not always rolled out to to these guys coming out from these recruiting services. Like some programs kind of shut them off and make them feel awkward. Mm -hmm. And so your professionalism for your, your parents, the players, uh, your fellow coaches, the media, there's Mm -hmm. just so many different hats you have to wear. And just the guests you bring on, I can just tell you're really well-respected in that community. So I think for a lot of us, we haven't really talked recruiting aspect of it. a lot of it. We've kind of more mm-hmm. talked coaching, but any gems you can drop for us for any coach that are listening that maybe want to dip their toe more into the recruiting side of it and become a recruiting coordinator. Just describe to us your responsibilities there. First of all, when did you start? Cause it seems, I feel like you've been doing it for 15 years, you know, you still <laughs> established establishing it, but when did you start and kind of describe your role? You know,
1: it was just a role that I guess I saw a need. I was working at Wakeland high school with okay. Mario C. Corey and I could see when we're trying to do spring practice and college coaches are coming up and he's trying to help run practice and he's getting the organization done and coaches are there and he needs somebody. It's like, he's doing two things at once. I said, coach, I can handle that for you. Like, you don't have to worry about that. I can take care of these guys. And he said, okay, I'm going to go ahead and pass it on to you. And from that point on, first thing I did was get on the phone with DJ man. He's the head coach at Lubbock Coronado. Uh, He was the OC at uh, Cedar Hill for a while. Quarterbacks coach at Cedar Hill for a while won a state championship, but I've known him forever. He's a a great guy, he worked for Jeff Reardon. So we're all in that same same circle. Mm -hmm. And so I said, okay, what do I need to know? And he said, well, first all you need to know is number one, just be yourself. And just like anything else in this business, man, it's all about just having authentic relationships. And when you can talk to people, you can hold a conversation. And when you're a better listener than you are a talker, you know, you don't have to be a salesman. You're not trying to sell these kids anywhere. You just got to listen. What what do you need as a college? And this is what my kid can offer you. What, you know, what do we need to do to get you and get them in front of you so you can make an offer to them. And that's really where it starts. Uh, And then it's the other part, a whole lot of work, a ton of work. And thankless work. You know, I will on average, probably once every quarter, I send over 600 emails and not big group mass emails. I send an email to each head coach and recruiting coordinator from each college in division one. I have a division one week, a division two week, D3 week, NAIA week, JUCO week, and I will send those all out. So over a five-week period, it it ends up being well over a thousand emails going out. And it's just trying to create uh, some buzz about our kids, just letting them know who we are, send them a recruiting prospect list that has their contact information, their, their Twitter, which is, I, I like to call their free LinkedIn profile. Yeah. You know, we're trying yeah. to get that out for them. And, and then following up, you know, you can't do it just one time and expect all of a sudden college coaches are going to show up. You, you have to just c- continue to follow up and they may or may not see your text. They may or may not see your DM. They may see it and just not answer you and you just can't take it personal understand that you're trying to help kids get to where they want to be. And over the years, it's turned into just genuine relationships. I don't have to do that so much. There's coaches at so many programs, they just pick up the phone and call me. My phone number has been the same since 2004. They just say, hey, what's up, Nash? What you got? I said, not much, man. How you been? Uh, Pretty good. Looking for a quarterback in the 24 class. I got you. And if I don't have it, the other part, the other thing I do is I, we play these people around us. You know, I see them multiple times, multiple events, track meets. I know whether the kids can play, so I just uh, I recommend other kids to them from other programs, which a lot of coaches don't do. But if you have a kid that fits your profile, I'm not going to let them fall through the cracks.
0: Talk about gaining the respect of that college coach, then, the trust. Mm-hmm. That, that that honestly that that shows like because that's one thing that um that uh, Mike Roach talked about was. Hey, be careful over promising that you got, you know, 15 power five kit, you know, because there's a certain amount of trust that goes, that's involved in this process. I take it. So Mm -hmm. that's the, you're the first person I've heard describe that. Now I'm trying to remember the name. You had a guest on your show. He was the running back coach at Cedar Hill, I believe. Jack Kelly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Jack Kelly. He was Mm -hmm. talking about how, you know, sometimes, you know, he's got to deal with parents that are, you know, upset (laughs) if their kids aren't getting touches and, I, I recently became a, a father for the first time. And so I, I, I imagine one day when my son's all grown up, I hope I don't become like that, but I, under, I understand that parents, they they love their kids. Like any misbehavior they're doing or any negativity they're bringing around the program, it's coming from a place of love. But mm-hmm. me personally, I don't like seeing that. Like now I broadcast games cause I love coaching and the Friday night so much. I'm out, I'm in, I'm in the press box. I'm in the stands. I'm watching. I'm hearing some of the things that are said. I don't like some of the negativity that I hear when I mm-hmm. see Articles or or things on Twitter about umpires getting punched out at little league games because of stuff, you know, I don't like some of the stuff I see in the stands, Marvin, you know, and so I just want to ask you as someone who's, you're just so entrenched in the game and, and, and being what's good for kids. My, uh, my hypothesis is that that kind of behavior is not good for the kid, even though you're doing it because you love your kid. That's the root of the cause of the behavior. That's not good for your kid at the end of the day to see this kind of behavior. So I just, I always want to know any wisdom you can share. Cause I hope that parents listen to this too. Just when we're, when we love our kids so much, and it's making us angry and we're getting, you know, we're feeling the rage come up. Like what, what are just some things you can describe to help parents if they start feeling that way and, and allow their kid to have the best athletic experience they can possibly have
1: uh i'll give a highly personal story this is okay. my oldest son uh damon damon's 16 he's about 6'3 about 195 he's a big kid yeah super athletic he will be he's an incoming junior uh he attends guyer high school okay and so you know of course i know the head coach over there he's a great guy yeah uh, we were actually driving down the road and the head coach of guyer high school a good friend of mine reed high calls and he's trying to get him to play football because as a freshman he played did great, moved up to the, uh, to the varsity when they traveled for, uh, for playoffs and all of that good stuff. And he is in love with basketball, just like his old man. Only difference is he's a much better basketball player than, than me. And than then I ever will be a little taller and, too. <laughs> a little tall, <laughs> just a little bit <laughs> and not chubby <laughs> and yeah. not chubby at all. So this, uh, you know, as a football coach, as somebody who pours my life into it, feel like the game saved my life. Uh, you know, as a dad, I, would, of course, would want my son to play football, but it's completely his decision. And one thing I always told him, and he asked me about it. He said, Daddy, like, if you want me to play, I'll play. And I said, no, I want you to do what you love. love it. And the only thing that I, want, that I want you to see from me is me supporting you in anything that you're doing and telling you you did a great job. So he has a great game. You did a great job. I'm so proud of you. He has a rough game and he's visibly upset. You gave your all. I'm proud of you. That's all you're going to hear from me. That's all kids need to hear. They're going to get all the coaching from the people who are hired to coach them. And there's not a coach in America, even the bad ones. There's some bad coaches out Mm -hmm. there. but There's not a coach in America that wants to lose the game. That says, you know what? I'm going to make this move because I want us to lose. Not one. There's not one that wants that. Even even the ones who don't know any better. So as a parent, I've sat in that role. I've embraced that role. And that's where I'm going to be. Now my youngest son is eight up with football yeah. and he is almost as his brother. He's, he's, he's 11. So he, I don't know. What oh my going. God. <laughs> well, <laughs> I say I'm exaggerating, but he's about five, four. Like he's, a, he's okay, a 11 year old. Okay, is, yeah, yeah, And that's all he wants to do. All he wants yeah. to do is run track and play football. That's it. it. And so I'm going to have to have that same, same space if he's not getting the touches because he already gets mad about it. He's like, I'm not, it's like, just give me the ball. I'm like, okay, you're definitely a receiver. You're definitely <laughs> a T. Or Randy Moss. You're definitely one of those guys. Uh, but I, I'm going to hush my mouth to say I'm proud of you. And that's all he's going to hear from me. And if he wants to do extra training and stuff like that, of course I got him. But parents have to learn that you have professionals yes. who want to see your child succeed because their success actually leads to, to the coaching success. Like, you're not going to win any games by ruining kids. It just, it doesn't work like that. So even the bad coaches realize it.
0: Oh, I love it, Marvin. I love – and this is kind of what Coach Sniffin talked about on his episode. He, he had two sons that played for him. He, he got to coach two of his sons, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe that's one – maybe if your younger son one day, that'll happen yeah. for you too. But he talked about, you know, about going home after the game. You know, he's a coach. He wants to critique some of the mistakes that were in, but he, he stopped himself from doing that, right? And he just yeah. – hey, I love you. You did good. And I think yeah. back to my son, you know, when I'm up at 3 a.m. feeding him his bottle mm-hmm. – Every time Mm -hmm. after he finishes the bottle or as he's drinking, I say, you're doing a good job, Bo. Yeah. You know, and I I want to keep that energy, right? I just want to, that's what I want to be growing up. Hey, I love you. You did good. You're playing hard. You know, you're doing, you're working hard. I see you. I'm proud of you. I love you. You know, like that's the role of the parent. Carmen Solis Mm -hmm. Martinez. I love the gem that she dropped for us on her episode. She's a head volleyball coach at Pasadena High School. She Mm -hmm. said any, any athletic contest, there's four roles, the coach, the official, the athlete and the Mm -hmm. parents basically stay in your lane. the parents (laughs) everyone has a role to do so the parents Uh job is just like you said marvin is just i love you i'm proud of you you work you know you're doing good keep it like a supportive role and then Mm -hmm. that's another reason i do this podcast i want parents to heal hear how professional our coaches are and just be blown away because sometimes Mm -hmm. i hear parents talking in the stands like like they think the coach is an idiot and i'm just that's not the case (laughs) okay we're professionals you know and so I really I love what you shared there now last question if more for, for a student and you do this you this is exactly what you do as a recruiting coordinator mm-hmm. how do you deal with the mentality of D1 or bust? How do you deal with that you know that mentality of, of, of kids t- and potentially and I see this on Twitter you know potentially turning up their nose at a D3 offer or a Juco mm-hmm. offer you know mm-hmm. some of our other guests uh, talked about how, how great the JUCO, uh, the Juco route is like how much opportunity Quisha Dickerson Came on, yep. uh, head basketball coach at Fort Bend Austin Girls Basketball, Fort Bend Austin said, "JUCO is great. Don't sleep on JUCO." What, what would you say to a kid when, if if they have that D one or bus mentality, but they want to keep playing sports? Like, what? How how do you guide them as a recruiting coordinator to make them see the value in D three or JUCO or, or D two or, or one of those routes?
1: Uh, three three major rules. Number one, be self aware. I always say, okay, you think you're a D one running back. Look at every D1 roster, and I'll do it with you. Where do you want to play? Where do you think you fit? Big Twelve. We're gonna pull up every Big Twelve roster. Look at every running back on the Big Twelve roster. See their height, see their weight, and watch their watch their highlight film from high school. And if you don't look like that, you're not D1. And I say it just like that to mom, dad, everybody, because it has to be it has to be said. Yes. Uh, the next thing is, you know your role. You know where you, you know where you play. If you go chasing D1 offers and you're not playing to your best ability as a high school player, no one's going to offer you. You're not going to get any opportunity whatsoever because you're eight up chasing camps in the summer instead of working out with your teammates. Or you're, you're going to every showcase and, and private seven on seven, but you're missing your workouts with your teammates. And then you get to the field on Friday night and you don't understand the scheme because you haven't been there for the lesson that's taught. And it's impossible to play well. So it's just common sense that you have to know what you have to understand the scheme if you're going to play well. Um, the last thing most high school boys understand this more than anything else. You better like who likes you. If you go chasing after the prettiest girl mm-hmm. in school and she's already dating the, the, the five star quarterback, that it, <laughs> and you're not breaking them up, <laughs> you're not that guy. You know, understand who you are. Have some awareness. Yeah. Now, there's this is really cute girl who makes good grades and she's really good for you and she's all about you. Yeah, I would like her because otherwise, it's not going to work out. Sure. It's so like like you know I, I get that I get that analogy, Coach. Analogy. I'm, saying, I'm just saying as a as a young man, yeah. we all like we all think we can shoot that shot. But how <laughs> successful have you been with that? Let's be let's be let's be honest. So.
0: Hey, speaking of shooting that shot, another thing we like to do is recognize the wives it, yeah. or, or husbands or or partners or anyone that that are for a coach because you and mm. I both know the hours. That's another thing that gets gets under my craw, Marvin. When I hear coach when I hear parents complaining, they have mm-hmm. no idea how many hours coaches yes. work so yes. just to recognize your wife you know just tell a quick story on how y'all met or how important she's been to, to your family and, and your career and everything And just just, just uh, we like to brag on our significant others on the show
1: no doubt no doubt and it's it's been a it's been a little difficult with this we've had some we've had a hard time with uh i guess covid really began sure. and it, it, it's been it's been really really hard for us but uh you know we still have a great relationship And our kids are are healthy and everything's going well with that. But I've, uh, you know, moving five hours away, taking this job and then just getting a promotion at Braswell High School as an assistant principal. You know, it takes its toll.
0: Uh,
1: But I'll take all the way back to our our friendship where it all started. I mean, she was a athletic trainer uh, at Austin College, played played basketball at Austin College. She's a few years older than me. And so that's where we met. And it was a friendship, yeah, a best friendship that blossomed into three beautiful kids and a, and a great relationship. And then of course you start to grow apart a little bit, but one thing that's that's constant is that still, we're as close of friends as we can possibly be. Awesome. you know. So it's, yeah. uh, and I guess the, the hardest thing for us before COVID was the fact that she was a, a varsity girls basketball coach at the same time that I was a varsity football coach. And we were able to make that work for years and years and years. Yeah. And yeah. you just have to, you have to have that that understanding. That's the only way that you can make it work. And uh, you speak on the hours. Uh, you know, my boys are here all summer, you know, working out with me. And they're like, and my youngest, of course, he's all, he's ate up with it. He loves football. And we're going through morning morning workouts. And then we have seven on seven league in the afternoon. And then we had a little kids camp somewhere between that. And he just looked at me. He's like, you do this every every week? I said, <laughs> He's like, how? How do you do this? (laughs) I I, I just say, you know, it's if it's your passion, you love it, you find a way. He's like, okay. He said, eventually it will be. I said, all right, no rush. You're good. (laughs)
0: That's awesome. hey, another thing we we like to talk about is like brushes with fame here. So you talked about a Denton Geyer. You coach with some professional uh, players and, and like Jer- uh, Jared Hurd, you know, Drought Hurd. I, I heard him come on the show. He's, you know, played at UT in the uh, was in the XFL, you know, but where was he at now? Where, did he land anywhere?
1: Uh, he is still playing in a semi-pro league. He's trying to get back to the USFL.
0: Oh, great. I've been, yeah. watch- I've been watching the USFL. I would love That's it if he football. came to join the Gamblers. Yeah, it is good football. Next year, hopefully we're, we're at the home cities and we can go to some mm-hmm. Gamblers games and, and, and check him out if he, if he joins that squad. That'd be awesome. But you also talked about you coached against Kyler Murray, Arizona's oh. Kyler Murray, and you mm-hmm. had six other NFL players on their 2014 title team. I had no idea they had six pros. I knew they were good, but I did not yeah. know that. So do you want to describe that experience?
1: Oh, my gosh. Seven NFL players. And we're pretty good. OK, we're, we're really, really good when we get we, we play them at the Tom Landry Classic at UNT Stadium. Uh, it was a, the time their stadium was under construction. So, uh, you know, Kyler's there. And of course, we know him. And then Jalen Guyton played for the Cowboys for a little bit, one of the receivers. Uh, there's a tight end that played in the league. Greg Little, uh, probably one of the best offensive linemen, probably still right now in the league. Unbelievable. Yeah. He, he looked like an NFL player at that point their center, there were two linebackers that played in the league as well. So we're out there, we're, we're really good. We just won back-to-back state championships at Dengar, brought nine starters back on defense, offense is loaded, uh, new quarterback at you know, Gerard just graduated, so in comes Sean Robinson, and we're, we're about to roll a sophomore, Sean Robinson, who is a, a blue chip, he's amazing. Uh, and we get there, and they proceed to run zone read, first play of the game, and Kyler Murray, bolts and nobody's touching him so 75 yard touchdown to start the game wow yeah and i'm like oh my gosh and we're, we're thinking it's going to get ugly it's, it's and they're up 21-0 at the end of the first quarter we actually come back and lose by uh i think we lost by 10.
0: wow so yeah. we
1: made a, a remarkable comeback the world knew who sean robinson was at the time he finished with 500 yards of total offense and we did really well but we were shell-shocked because I've never seen that much talent on the field at one time uh but of course i mean uh Trying to think of some of the other guys that we pl- we played against the South Lake teams. Yeah. Were, we're loaded back then. So you're we're looking at uh at King Newton. So uh, Nate yeah. Newton's son. Yep. Uh, gosh, who else? I mean, anybody you can think of. There's some guys at you Trinity uh in this high school. They won the state championship that same year. We played them second game, played Allen game one in a second game, scrimmage Uless Trinity. And then we went through the gauntlet of uh, of our of our district playing all the Plano schools, and yeah, it was uh, it, it's it's unbelievable the amount of talent
0: that's in Texas high school football, and every year it seems like there's more and more and more. Yeah, and then you you also coached against some some famous guys. You, you talked about uh, George Teague, the former Cowboy, yeah. former uh, I think with Alabama, right? So George yes, Teague, and yes, then uh, Coach Prime. Deion mm-hmm. Sanders, head coach of Jackson State. You said, you know, you coached against him. Describe what, what that was like, you know, running against against big names like that.
1: Oh, I was I was shell-shocked, man. I was at Frisco Legacy Christian. I had actually uh, stepped away from coaching a little bit. I got burned out. Mm. And I had a great opportunity with the Cowboys organization. So, they're in Frisco at the start. Uh, and I was just doing, like, little marketing sales stuff. N- nothing major. But the fun part was I was able to go to some games, uh, when the Final Four was held there, I, I got to go to the Clemson-Notre Dame game and sit in the wow. box and all that fun stuff. Uh, and I ran into, actually, uh, Scott Smith. Scott Smith was a Baylor coach. He coached for Coach Taft. And he he uh, he was he's, he saw me at, at the Cowboys facility. He was taking a tour, and we talked, started ch- chatting a little bit. He said, hey, I want you to come coach for me. I said, like, like now? He's like, yeah, yeah, We're at, I'm a legacy Christian. We're right up the street. And so I ended up there, and uh, in that private school, he turned around uh, in one season, turned around that program, uh, took us to the playoffs for the first time in five or six years. And you know, we run into the district was George Teague led uh, John Paul the Second High School, and the, the first round playoff game was uh, it was Trandy Christian with Deion yeah. Sanders. Wow! And Shiloh Sanders was a quarterback. Of course, he's at South Carolina now. Uh, just uh, it, it's definitely uh, definitely an eye opening experience. But uh, you, you can see that these guys are just guys just like us. They they played the game and love the game, and that's why they want
0: to stay with it. A couple fun facts about you: I, I did not know this until I heard it on your podcast. But then you also told me you yeah. are a, you are the self proclaimed biggest Marvel comics nerd ever, and mm-hmm. you spend your spare time writing poetry and prose. Like I said, I, listen to your podcast. I believe the second part. I I can tell you are a poet at heart, man. You 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 have a way with words, so. Do you want to talk about that? I know we kind of, we chopped it up a little bit. Like I was a big comic book guy. Like I, I had a box of comp. you know, Daredevil is my favorite and then Spider-Man, but I don't know the movies as well as you do, but do you want to just talk about that, that passion of yours with the Marvel comics and, and the poetry?
1: Absolutely. I actually had to go back and reread the Avengers, but my my core memory is is started with X-Men. And yeah. X-Men, it it was just, I didn't understand the parallel at the time because I was a kid, but it's a civil rights movement. That's exactly what it was. Really?
0: Okay. Talk more yes. about that. I wanted, okay. I, I did not I did not know that.
1: There was an agency that wanted to suppress the rights of mutants because they were enhanced people. Uh, didn't want to allow them rights to vote. Didn't want wow, to allow yeah. them ways, ways to be leaders. And Professor Xavier had this school and basically he was teaching uh, the, the mutants how to coexist. He was Martin Luther King jr. it wow. was it, it just the more you look at it maybe it's the it's the English major in me or something I don't know yeah but as you, as you keep reading you see the parallels of when it was written and most of the uh, the work was done in the in the late 60s early 70s and it parallels everything that was going on in the world and so when I saw that I had a huge respect for it went back and read the Avengers and you could see uh, you know Captain America's origin story and how it was against the Nazis, and it was yeah. it was really just the just the American story of of saving the saving the country and, and being a leader in that aspect. And I, I don't know it 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 it's still I still still see the parallels now with the movies that are out now and
2: yeah
1: uh, Thanos saying how he wants to uh, eliminate half the world and I'm like oh
0: that's communism
1: it's just uh it's it's amazing wow. it's
0: amazing uh, the parallels there and I think that's what got me hooked as a kid that that's awesome and as far as on the on the writing side of it the poetry and the prose is that is that something that you is it just for you you, you know you kind of is it just for you like or is it something that, that you you're publishing or what it's
1: uh I've, I've never published anything I, I keep it pretty much to myself i did share a few open mic nights and some things that happened on campus i was able to share a few things but it's always been my outlet you know yeah. it's when you have that frustration you put pen to paper when you're happy about something put pen to paper and and the worship's flow they, they just they just work together and so i have books and books and books from 20 years ago of things that i've written and i have books of things i wrote yesterday you know it's just something i do to to really to calm the mind and you know you know you're not always in this in this state of happiness all the time especially how crazy the world's been here recently right? Um, but you're able to express those feelings and still find optimism in every day.
0: We're getting closer to the end of the show. And this is where we just really like, we're starting to learn more about you as a person. We're not, you know, uh, but I always, the thing I like to talk about, cause it's, this is stuff we can always, everybody can chop it up about favorite teams. And so I asked you, what are your favorite teams, Marvin Nash? And you said you are a diehard Baltimore Ravens fan. Like I said, I, I'm guessing that has something to do with Ray Lewis. I'm just curious. Is, <laughs> was that the reason or what, what drew you to the Baltimore Ravens?
1: Uh, Ray Lewis and Ed Reed. Oh yeah, and those are yeah. those are my two guys, man. Ray Lewis is somebody I wanted to emulate myself after. Uh, funny story is that after they won the uh, won the Super Bowl in two thousand, you know, I was I was hooked. I was a Ravens fan. Around that same year is when the first uh, season of Hard Knocks ever came out. Yeah, and my old teammate Aaron Kerner got picked up as a free agent by the New York Giants. Uh, he ended up getting getting cut from the Giants, got picked up by the Ravens. He was on episode five, I believe, of that first season. And he made a move on Ray Lewis and made Ray Lewis fall. It was like a tackling drill. Yeah. Ray Lewis said, no, I'll line that up again. And he ran through Aaron Curry's chest. But it, it's just a it's a funny story because I saw it happen live. And I thought, you know, I can remember wow. trying to do the same thing with Aaron when <laughs> we did one-on-ones and did yeah. stuff like that. And, uh, and so that, that was one thing, uh, just – seeing how good defense wins championships and it's always fun to watch offense. And I'm an offensive coordinator uh, in the past game at that. And I love explosive plays, but you can't win without a great defense. I just like the camaraderie and, and teamwork of defense. And I also like the, the free flow of passion. You get too passionate on offense, they flag you. You make a great tackle and play and celebrate with your teammates on defense. It's just a different feeling. And it's for somehow you get away with it. Cause I did a lot of stuff I probably should have been flagged for just be <laughs> honest. <laughs>
0: In today's game, you might, right? Because they, they have the penalty for standing over, you know, after making a tackle. So I, I'm kind of with you. I, I, I'm with you, man. If, it, if it's celebrating for teammates, come on. I mean, mm-hmm. but anyhow, you know. Also, th- this happened just this. It's it's sad that the, the timing of it, but you know, rest in peace, mm-hmm. Tony Saragusi. He just passed away yesterday, the day before yes. you know, we recorded this episode. So, you know, rest in peace to Tony. He was obviously a big, huge part of that that defense that you speak of. Mm-hmm. And then you also said that you are a uh, you also root for the Dallas Mavericks. I That's do. Those- <laughs> and, and can I, can I ask that backstory? Cause I, I know you had to be a Rockets fan growing up in new Waverly in the nineties, but oh, there's really? the, the something did, Cause I, when I, when I went to Austin college, I started cheering for Michael Finley and the Mavs a little bit. I get it. But is, mm-hmm. is that what happened? You just kind of lost the, the Rockets fandom or.
1: It was, it was everything that Mark Cuban did once he became the owner of the Mavericks. Mm, yes. Made it, he made the Mavs a household name. You know, right. I, I've been to reunion arena. You know, I went to the old Mavs games way back when. Um, and just to rewind, yes, I was a huge Rockets fan in the right. 90s and they lost, they lost me. It's like they, yeah. you know, they let Akeem go, you know, he, you know, he ended his career as a Toronto Raptor, the weirdest right. thing in the world, man. Yeah. And uh, just, just the way you, you let go of the, the cornerstone, he should have retired the Rocket. That's how it should have been. Vernon Maxwell should have retired to Rocket. And just seeing how everything disbanded, it kind of it shook me up a little bit. It made me lose, lose my, my value in what the Rockets had brought to the table. But then I became a fan of what Cuban did with the Mavs and then Steve Nash because it's the only jersey I could buy that had my last name on it. So That I, is I,
0: awesome. I didn't even think about that.
1: <laughs> that was the first thing. I, I used to wear the number 13 Steve Nash jersey all the time. Oh, that's dope, man. <laughs> and, <laughs> I'm never
0: going to get one. Kovaleski, man. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it will be hard out. to find one.
1: <laughs> and then the, uh, the, the drafting of Dirk, man. Dirk yeah. is one of my favorite people ever. Just the, the kind of guy he, he you know, showed himself to be over the years. And I feel the same way about Luca. You know, I love the guy. So I don't think I'll always root for the Mavs just because they're underdogs. Always will be. You know, they've never had just that. They never had the LeBron, the Kobe. They never had that guy. But they had Dirk. They, they, they have Luca now. They have somebody who can lead and, and you can win with.
0: Hey, I know you're a comic book guy, so I know you love a good origin story. Yes. Mark Cuban was a season ticket holder for the Dallas Mavericks sitting up in the top section.
2: Mm-hmm. So isn't that kind of mm-hmm.
0: cool? Like he, he lived all of our dreams of being yes. a, just a guy in the stands. Like you said, our old reunion arena, just not happy with the way the Mavericks were running that organization. And when he sold all of his stock, I guess it was an Amazon or something, he had stock yeah. in some, some whatever. And he, he cashed in and said, yeah, I have the opportunity. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I'm going to change this program. And sure enough, yeah. he, he sure did. But
2: Absolutely. Here's the portion
0: that everybody loves. This is the Start Bench Cut portion of the show. I'm about to put you on the hot yeah. seat, Coach, Coach Nash. As all of our team player podcast fans know, Start Bench Cut is brought to you by our good friends at MVP Marketing Group, a turnkey marketing solution for schools. I know if you're from the Metroplex. You know the name uh, Joey Florence, correct? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. The longtime Dent Ryan head coach. Now the, uh, the AD out there. He is a fan of the uh, MVP marketing group. If you go to their website, which is in our show notes, you will see a testimonial from Joey Florence. And so what CEO Mike Voglar does, he helps schools and programs attract sponsors to help fund the program. So if, if you have any interest in that, you can give Mike a call. His contact email and phone is in my show notes. Give him a call. Just talk to him. It's all free of charge, you know, free of charge to talk. And then if, if, if you want to do it and you say Coach Kovo sent you, he's going to give you a discount. So please, if you're interested, check out the MVP Marketing Group. All right, here we go. Bought you a little bit of time to get ready. Strap yourself in. I'm about to put you on the hot seat here. Let's start. You were a nice little point guard back in your day. So I want to start with a point guard edition. All right, we're going to start a point guard edition, a start bench cut. And we're going to do a little bit of, towards your Mavs fandom here. Okay, Jason Kidd, uh-huh. right? Yeah, he's part of the Triple J's back in the day, right? So you got Jason yeah. Kidd, your 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 brother Steve Nash. <laughs> so huh? <here's> <laughs> Jason Kidd, Steve Nash, and then what just happened in the finals this year? MVP Steph Curry. So let huh? let's let's go Jason Kidd, uh, Steve Nash, Steph Curry. Start bench cut.
1: Okay, I'm gonna get a lot of hate for this. I'm starting Steve Nash, back to back MVP, never should have left the Mavericks. I uh I'm gonna bench Jason Kidd because he's better on the bench as a coach. He's a, a phenomenal coach. Okay. I'm gonna cut I'm gonna cut Steph Curry because I can't stand Steph Curry. Okay. Tell me more. Okay, I, like
0: okay. I, mean, I want to <laughs> hear that because this is a first. I, I every uh, person I've met loves Steph Curry, but I want to yeah, I'm curious, yeah. Mark.
1: Okay. All right. First of all, I am not a fan of fake nice guys. He's a fake nice guy. Really? He, okay. Yeah, yeah, he wants to be, oh, you know, I'm the household name. I was a little yeah. bar boy, and look at what happened to me. But then, any call goes his way, he's rolling eyes, taking the mouthpiece oh, out, I chewing got on it. <laughs> I see he what you're he turns into light skinned Draymond Green whenever anything uh, happens. I'm done with Steph Curry. I, I don't ever he's a great player, I'll say that. But I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan.
0: I understand, Marvin. <laughs> you might still be a bit a bit salty from that Western Conference spot. <laughs> very much so.
1: It's very personal. Oh
0: no, man. I hear that was fun. That was a fun. That was a fun uh that was a fun new take there. Uh, okay. Let's do another Mavs Goat edition here. Okay. You've mentioned two of these guys. I want to mm-hmm. start bench cut from Dirk. Luca, and then my personal favorite, I've said his name already. Michael Finley is my Ooh. personal favorite Mav of all time. I thought he's a big part of that turnaround and kind of changing the culture. So let's go. Mm-hmm. Dirk, Luca, and Michael Finley start bench cut.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, Dirk will forever be the face of the Maverick organization forever. Just like if you yeah. think of the Chicago Bulls, you instantly think Michael Jordan. That's how you're going to think of Dirk and We're starting Dirk. Sure. Uh, this is where he gets hurt uh because i kind of want to bench luca because he's next up he's what he's yeah. waiting this time it's about to happen but if you cut mike michael finley then i don't think you have the Mavs as as they were i think right. you know right it was Dirk finn and nash they were they were going so yeah whew, uh, i'm gonna go ahead and cut luca okay and i'm gonna bench finley just respect for that. respect yeah, definitely out of respect you know no, I, res- I respect
0: you on that. I, I, that. That's a tough take to cut Luca now. <laughs> because he I, is
1: next up. Make no mistake. He's next up. <laughs> all
0: right. You're an offensive coach now. But as we all know, you, you know, you really made your career on the defensive side of the ball. You're a defensive legend in Austin College football history. And then, obviously, you're a big Ravens fan. Uh, mm-hmm. They're known for defense. So, let's let's go for a Ravens defensive greats edition here of Start, Bench, Cut. Ooh. Again, two of these guys you've already said. Ray mm-hmm. Lewis. Ed Reed. And I'm going to throw in Terrell Suggs.
1: Okay. Let's okay.
0: go. And I, I know they, I know they play different positions, but just, mm-hmm. you know, we're just ranking here. Start bench cut of Terrell Suggs, Ray Lewis, and Ed Reed. How would you rank those three?
1: All right. Uh, I'm going to start Ed Reed because he is the most dynamic player that can hurt you in multiple ways. Uh, still leads the NFL in interceptions return for touchdowns. Mm. One of the most dynamic punt returners. One of the most dynamic special teams players period i don't know if you've ever seen that clip where he goes to block a punt that's in the end zone he gets blocked down he gets up and runs all the way down the field and just annihilates the returner when he tries to cut back and it's one of my favorite clips ever because he's relentless and that's the kind of heart and soul you have to have on the field you start ed reed ray lewis is the inspiration ray lewis shows by leads by action he leads by words He's he's the if you think Ravens defense, you think Ray Lewis before anyone else. So he's got to be on the bench ready to go. And then I guess I got to cut Terrell Suggs, but it's only by default. He didn't do anything wrong. Absolutely.
0: But you just can't compete with the other yeah, that's two. Tough. That's tough. I'm I always you can't win in these. I mean, I always give you three greats. <laughs> so you can't win. And then uh-huh. finally, in honor of you being one of the greatest middle linebackers in Austin college history, let's do an all time middle linebacker greats edition. We will again go with Ray Lewis. Mm-hmm. But I'm also going to put in there Brian Urlacher, mm-hmm. another guy that kind of reminds me of yourself, and Junior Seau. Ooh, so we Ooh. got we got Ray Lewis, you got Brian Urlacher, you know, converted safety, just incredible athlete, and then Junior Seau, just 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 for a generation, defined that position, played mm-hmm. with so much passion and heart. So I'm curious, there, Ray Lewis, Brian Urlacher, Junior Seau, start bench cut.
1: Before I even knew who Ray Lewis was. Before Brian Urlacher moved to linebacker, I was a Junior Seau fan. I bet. And uh, I am really big. One of my big proponents that I stand on is trying to help athletes with mental health. Yeah. And yeah. I know what, what Junior Seau had to go through. And, you know, it's so unfortunate nobody was able to help him or that he yeah. was even able to cry for help. But he was one of the greatest players ever. And he played so violently. But yeah. he was also such a calm person. Uh just the love for Junior Seau, man. I'm, I'm taking it back to the '90s when, as a kid, it, he was the guy. He was who yeah. I wanted to be. In high school, I wore number 55. Uh, okay, that that in yeah. eighth grade, I wore number 55. Junior Seau was my guy. Junior Seau was starting. Okay, Ray Lewis, Ray Lewis will be second, of course, because of my Ravens love and what you sure. getting 2000 and moving forward. And then again, Urlacher didn't do anything wrong. except maybe. Uh, he should have stayed skinny and played safety. Then he could have been one of my top safeties
0: ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Coach Nash, this has been a real treat. Thank you for all you do for the kids in your community. And thank you for your podcast. As a fellow podcaster, man, that was just refreshing for me to listen to you. I guess I listened to your entire back catalog. So everyone listening on my show, uh, please uh, look up the iCoach podcast. You're going to love it. Coach Nash, thank you so much for coming on the sh- show today.
1: Man, thank you for reaching out to me, man. I've, I've been a fan. I've been listening. Okay. And I was like, you know, this is something that, uh, that I'm really impressed with, man. So just knowing the voice or knowing the person behind the voice that's putting this out is amazing. So you're doing yeah. great things. Keep it up.
0: I feel the same way about you. And just last thing here, if you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, again, please take the moment for the five-star review. Podcasters like me and Marvin know this, we don't fully understand it, but this helps us a lot, right? So this helps us when people are searching for sports podcasts, we might start showing up for them and they can hear these great stories. So please, if you're listening, give us that five-star review for both the podcasts. Uh, hit the follow button. That's what I like doing. That way, the new episode is in my queue every single week. I don't got to worry about it or search for anything. You can follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kovo. That's Coach underscore K-O-V-O. That's where I can I tweet out about new episodes. If you're about this team player life and are digging the show, we want to hear about it. Hit us up at teamplayerpodcast at gmail.com. We lift up our own inside of Team Player Nation. Give us feedback. Tell us somebody we need to bring on the show. I, I'll, I'll make it happen. And that's kind of how we've been doing it. All in, in organic people that I've know or have impressed me or been recommended. That's how we're finding our guests. As always, the cover art and music for the Team Player Podcast is provided by two of my former players. The cover art is by Kaiser Saint Cyr, and our intro and exit music is one more good enough from avrion's self-titled debut album. You can find his music on all platforms by searching for Avery on, that's avrion That's A V R I O N. Coach, thanks again for everything you do and uh, again been a real treat thank you so much
1: yes sir thanks for having me
0: all right thank you for all the team players out there for your support and we'll catch y'all down the road it's
2: just it always feel like i need one more boy and one more line, record the track just one more time My family think I bumped my head Lost my mind, in them I'm just fine I'm good enough, but I need one more boy And one more line, record the track just one more time My family think I bump my head Lost my mind, ensuring them. I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy, and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, ensuring them. I'm just, fine, I'm, I'm just fine. I'm good enough. But you be told, I need some therapy. Initially, ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy.